You guys, welcome to episode 32 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV whores. I'm your host, Troy McGeady. Just kidding, they're not whores. They're reality TV stars. They're not whores. They are stars. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited about today's episode. It's going to be super fun. I actually recorded this episode like two months ago with my friend Ashley and our audio didn't work like her the whole time she was just like spitting fire and spitting truths and you couldn't hear anything it didn't work so I decided I'm just gonna go back and re-record it myself you know I'm sure her and I will get together at some point and re-record and there will be some other wild whore that we can talk about for two hours but today you're, you're just getting me you're getting me and my cough drops you're getting me and my mason jar full of tap water you're getting me you're getting me and my pile of tissues next to me, some used, some not. As I explained in uh, episodes prior, I possess a cough. I also possess allergies, okay? I'm not a, I'm nowhere near a perfect human. I have, it is allergy season for me all year round. I constantly have a stuffy, like, uh, I have the kind of voice inflection where it constantly sounds like I need to blow my nose. Like, all the time. And I do need to blow my nose all the time. It's not a lie. But it's just part of who I am. I possess that. We talked about that before. I don't have a cough. I don't have allergies. I possess them. They are part of my body. I'm like Oda May. Like, these things just take me. <laughs> they just take me over and they become part of my soul. And it is who I am. And you either accept me for my allergies and my pile of dirty tissues and my lukewarm tap water and my dollar store brand cough drops that say cough drop on the bag instead of halls. Um, you either accept me for those things or you don't. But either way, I'm still going to fill your ears with um, useless facts about Tara Reid in the year 2001. Because why not? I guess I should also update you about my life. Um, let's see. What's going on right now? I am Christmas shopping a lot. Um, I just actually came home from the stores and I'm just trying to find stuff for everybody. I need to buy stuff for my mom. And I'm not really sure what to get her. I mean, what do you buy a queen that has everything? The thing about my mom is that she's like super... My mom is very basic in the best way possible. She's like one of those women that just like owns being basic. She's a Lauren Conrad, you know? She's the Lauren to my Kristen. And we don't really get each other. Like, I'm extra. She's not. She's very simple, plain. She wears black all the time. You know, she's just, like, simple and chic. She's, like, a leggings girl. You know, she loves, like, an athletic wear. And I'm a Kristen. If I were a woman, I would be, at all times, in, like, a short, ruffled denim skirt, like, dancing on top of a bar. Like, that would be my style aesthetic. And my mom is the complete opposite. So, it's hard to, you know, find something every year for a girl who um, likes the more simpler things because it just feels like every year I'm buying her leggings and fucking t-shirts. Um, and I'm also just like so over ath athleisure wear. I'm sorry, girls. I know that it's become like, you now possess that. Like, girls possess fucking yoga pants and like athletic wear just out for no reason. Like, I'm, I, I am mostly just jealous because I wish I could wear a full head to toe lycra, um, bodysuit to just do everything in and like to absorb all my sweat and to make me look like I was like doing something active when I wasn't. Like, I wish that I could do that. Um, but I can't. I have to put on real clothes and I'm just over it. I'm over yoga pants, you guys. I'm just done. 
Like, I'm over it. Every year for Christmas, I go to Victoria's Secret and buy my mom and all the women in my life, you know, the fucking two for 98 fucking dollars for yoga pants. And I get her a crop. I get her a skinny. I get her a long. I, I get a flare for her. I, I, I do like the whole thing and I'm just done with it. I'm over yoga pants. So if you have any su- suggestions, if you are a basic in the best way possible, what should I buy my mom? What would she like? She's very simple. She's a plain Jane. She's a real simple, easy to please kind of gal. She doesn't like any kind of glitz or glam and nothing too frilly or fussy. She's just real simple. The opposite of me. Um, so yeah, that's all I've really got going on. Just, uh, Christmas shopping and hating, hating the holidays as an adult and just really feeling like that Christmas spirit has been drained out of me from, um, having to deal with things like bills and work. Um, but anyway, I guess, I don't know. We should talk about Carson and Tara now. Two people that I adore oh so much. Tara Reed and Carson Daly dated from March of the year 2000 to October of the same year. Um, they got engaged that October and they ended their engagement. Um, actually, sorry, I lied to you. I've already told a bold face lie. They ended their engagement in July of 2001. Um, so they were together for a total of a little over a year. Um, they had a really short, but like sort of hot and heavy relationship. And Tara and Carson met on the set of TRL during a segment and, um, they started dating pretty immediately after, uh, Tara alluded to being cheated on, uh, by Carson and blamed lack of trust is the reason that they were no longer together and not able to make it work. And, um, you know, I have a hard time believing anything Tara Reed says at this point in life. Like, she just really... And it's not because I think she is a liar. I really truthfully think Tara Reed has her sort of version of reality that, in her mind, makes complete sense. And I don't think that she's a bad person. And I don't think that she... I think she really is just, like, legitimately a delusional being. Um So I believe that Tara Reed. And she also, Tara is a person, I don't know if you watched this most recent season of uh, uh, Celebrity fucking Marriage Boot Camp All-Stars, whatever the hell, on on Oxygen. Um, And I know that that relationship was fake and that they, like, used it as an excuse to be on the show. But, like, even still, Tara Reid is somebody who has a really hard time taking accountability for anything in her life. And, um, I mean, there's nothing worse than, you know, a person who already has, like, an addictive personality and suffers with, uh, like, drugs and alcohol, and then also just sort of naturally isn't able to take accountability for anything. It's, like, this really terrible combination, and it's toxic, and I think that Tara Reid really, you know, heavily possesses both both those things. And, uh, so, yeah, I don't know if Tara Reid will ever actually know why her and Carson broke up. She probably won't, because in her mind, she had to sort of twist and turn this, like, narrative that she didn't do anything wrong, when in all actuality, I'm sure she played a huge role in why Carson Daly didn't want to be with her anymore. Um, Carson has said in recent years that he felt like he actually dodged a bullet by not marrying Tara. Um, can't imagine why. And Tara has since said that she actually does regret breaking up with him. And she admits that, you know, she's often wondered, like, what her life would be like had she stayed with him. Um, and, you know, I mean... I definitely agree. Like, that was... The year that Tara Reid dated Carson was a turning point for her. It was like a fork in the road. Like, she had all the opportunity in the world, 
And she was at, like, the forefront of, like, her fame and becoming this sort of, like, household name. And everybody loved Tara Reid. And there were a number of different directions that she could have gone. And she chose to go, you know, a route that so many girls in her position get sort of sucked up in and swallowed whole by, you know, of, like, party girl. And, uh, I mean... She's never really escaped it. I mean, Tara Reid is just, like, has just been in the same vicious cycle a la, like, Lindsay Lohan for so long. I mean, at this point, it's, like, it's hard to imagine that it's been, I mean, yeah, like, around this time, like, 2001 was when these headlines started for Tara Reid. So, it's been, like, 16 straight years of just debauchery and and hell-raising. Um... But yeah, so I'm excited to talk about this relationship. Obviously, we're first going to start with Tara. I obviously already I can't even I can't even help myself. I just love I love this woman so much. And Tara Reid is somebody who like when you look at someone like Lindsay Lohan or you know other people who like Drew Barrymore, girls that you know at a certain point in their lives have like really faced hardship and you like really want them to pull out of it because they're so talented and there's so much potential there. There's a lot of potential for Tara Reid in life, but, like, you know, look, if we're just calling a spade a spade and we're being very real and raw and open with each other as I suck on my Hall's cough drop, Tara Reid is not, like, a great actress. Like, she's not, like, somebody that you're like, God damn it, if Tara Reid could just pull it together, I know she could win that Oscar, you know? Like, Lindsay Lohan is legitimately a really good actor, and there's so many people who have sort of struggled in the same way that she struggled that have been incredible actors and actresses. Tara Reid is somebody who sort of fell into like a genre of what it means to be a celebrity as a teenager, you know, like a marketable, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, gorgeous, like bikini model kind of thing. She was never like a girl who any of us thought would like make it to the Golden Globes or something one day. Do you know what I mean? Um, Now, prior to dating Carson, Tara was like I said, she was at the peak of her career. Like, she, you know, was at a time when she was super bankable. She was gorgeous. She was up and coming. She had, like, that starlet title in the tabloids and in, in magazines and in interviews, and they would talk about her. Um, she had all this promise, you know? And, you know, it's just, it's a it's weird to imagine a time where you would read an article about Tara Reid that was, you know, positive, And it wasn't some sort of quippy... You know, it was it was led with Tara Reid the starlet, Tara Reid actress, blah, 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 and not led with some sort of quippy, like, adjective for alcoholic written before her name, you know, because that's what it's turned into. It's, again, just like Lindsay Lohan. Like, you don't read articles about Lindsay where she isn't described in some fun way as a drunk or as a, a drama queen or troubled. You know, they, it's like, it, I, I really seriously feel like they have, like, a box full of just adjectives that describe um, crackheads and alcoholics, and they just, like, pick from it and open it up <laughs> and insert it into their articles, because they've used every word you could possibly imagine. Um, now, before making a name for herself, Tara attended the famous professional children's school in Manhattan. You may or may not have heard of it. Basically, anyone who's anyone graduated from this school, um, it's, 
I call it the school where parents send their kids when they know that they want their children to pay their mortgage from a very young age. Like, if you have it in your mind that your child is going to be a star, you send them to the professional children's school in Manhattan. So um, I have a list here of just some famous alumni to give you an idea of how important this school is. So uh, Misha Barton, the entire Colkin clan, all of them, uh, Melissa Joan Hart, Scarlett Johansson, Vera Wang, Jane Krakowski, Ricky Lake, Diane Lane, Sarah Jessica Parker, Leighton Meester, etc., etc. Um, Tara attended the school at the same time as Christina Ricci. Um, she actually attended with Macaulay, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, and Jerry O'Connell. Um, and the fact that my mom didn't send me to the professional children's school in Manhattan just proves that, like, I've never been loved. And I've never been given that genuine love that Tara Reid has been given. Because I should have been. I should have been in class with Tara and Macaulay. Like, hello. Um, and Tara had a really typical sort of, like, career beginning, you know, of any actor who started off in the business as a child, you know, she appeared in a bunch of commercials for like fast food and toys and board games and, you know, Barbies and things like that. Her first sort of like real acting gig, uh, came as a teenager. She appeared on Saved by the Bell, the new class. And then, uh, Tara and her family decided to kind of pick up and move from New York to Hollywood in 1997 so that they could focus entirely on her acting career, which, I mean, that's proven to be super help healthy for children. To just pick up and say, honey, you're 14, let's make you a star. And we'll pull you out of school, stop developing you mentally, and have you pay our bills. Um, it's a tale as old as time. It's how you, you know, it's how you raise a child star. And I've, I mean, it's been proven to work. I've not heard any sign of it not working or causing any trouble towards anybody in the past. I don't know why it wouldn't work out for Tara. Um, her big breakout role came in 1998 when she starred in the Coen Brothers film, The Big Lebowski, as uh, Bunny Lebowski. Um, really funny sort of, like, thing that I read online. Tara later made these claims that Charlize Theron... See, this is, like, a part of the Tara delusion, that I love. So she made these claims that she beat out Charlize Theron for the role and that she's so like, can't believe that like she can say in her career that she beat Charlize Theron out for a, mo a film role. Um, and it's never been proven that Charlize Theron was ever even attached to the film. And the Corn brothers like came forward and said like, we never even like had the idea of casting Charlize Theron and she wasn't even like on our radar. So like Tara just like s believes these things. And you'll notice a reoccurring theme uh, of Tara Reid giving these little glimpses into her vision of reality, which is fully false and can be proven false by staggering facts that surround it. Um, <laughs> that doesn't stop her from believing it, though, and that's what I love about her. Like, she just goes with it. She's like, the grass is actually blue. And you're like, no, Tara, it's not. And it's based on blah, 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 blah. And she's like, no, it's blue. And that's just her world, and, and you're living in her world at that moment. And I love it. Like, I aspire to live in the same way. Um, she also said in an interview in 2011 that she, um, <laughs> that she started filming The Big Lebowski 2, and that the, the entire cast was getting back together, and she was so excited about it. About, uh, 
Okay. Um, and the Corn Brothers responded and said, I'm glad she's working on it. We'll watch it when it comes out, especially if Tara's in it. Like, and again, just a glimpse into Tara's reality. You want to step into my reality? Yes, I do. It's, it looks like a fucking funhouse of just, of, of, of funhouse mirrors. Like, I, I, I love it. She's like, I'm working right now on Big Lebowski 2. It's like, you're literally not, though. Maybe she does know that they're lies, and she just hopes that lying to the public will get... I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm not here to try and figure out Tara Reid. I'm only here to give you news and facts, because I'll never be able to do it. Um, now, The Big Lebowski wasn't a big, huge commercial success the year that it came out, but it's now considered to be like one of the most important and prolific cult classic films in film history, obviously, as you probably know. Um, I'm not really sure how much of of a role Tara Reid plays in that, of it being a cult film. Um, I think people sort of forget that she's even in it. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to take that away from her. She's Bunny Lebowski. It's a very important role. I'm sure that if they did decide to make another one, that Tara would be, you know, would reprise her role as, Bun as Bunny Lebowski. Um, Tara then followed that up with Cruel Intentions, which, we gotta talk for a second. I've mentioned Cruel Intentions on this podcast before, but, like, I don't know if in 32 weeks I've really fully explained to you, like, the importance that that movie played in my life as a young gay youth. Um, look, like, I know, first of all, we have to talk about, Tara's, re Tara's role in that movie is, like, literally less than one second long. Like, she literally is in the, the movie for minutes that you can count on one hand, like, for real. But it's iconic. And it starts off the film in, like, the greatest way possible. Um, but, like, beyond that, like, I just, I don't know if I can even really express to you how important this movie was to me. Like, this was my choice teen film. When people would say, like, you know, there were people who loved, like, 10 Things I Hate About You and Never Been Kissed. And, like, you know, you had, like, your choice teen film Mine was always and always will be cruel in fucking tensions. It just, it's, it's perfection caught on film. It literally is like the, one of the greatest films of all time. And, um, this was just one that I would watch so often that I like knew all the words to, you know, when you're young and you do that, like you'll watch a movie like every day for a week you know, for just no reason, because you love it so much, and I would fantasize about Ryan Phillippe, because he was my first ever celebrity crush, and I really truthfully was in love with him in a way, I was in love with him in a way that, like, teenage girls love, like, their choice guy, and they become very sort of, like, uh, unhinged in their love, if you will, sort of, um, like a pre-snapped, like a pre-teen snapped situation like i really like legit was in love with him like as if we had walked on the aisle i was basically selma blair's character in that movie i was cecile like <laughs> i was like drinking from a twisty straw and like rubbing my body against the tv and thinking that we were like making love um <laughs> Like, I really, I'm not kidding. I, like, loved him. And everything changed for me. Like, when he, first of all, when he shows his ass in the pool scene, really, really had an effect. And also when he, spoiler alert, if you've never seen Cruel Intentions, when he dies. When he dies in the movie, it really um, affects me. Because it really, and then, you know, the fact that he was, like, you know, Reese Witherspoon was, like, 
with him at the time and it felt so real and like raw and like I loved Reese so much and obviously Sarah Michelle Gellar is a queen Selma Blair is iconic like the whole thing was just like it was lightning in a bottle secret society um <laughs> there are also starred in urban legend which at the time I had a huge problem with because it was one of those like post scream like really super try hard horror movies from the late 90s that like you know, would acknowledge the cliches of a horror movie in a really unimpressive way. Like, really, like, really uninspired and just, like, not, like, it was just, like, a cheap sort of, like, knockoff. Um, I mean, I've since grown to love it, and I appreciate it for its campiness and its terrible acting, and, you know, watching Tara Reid pretend to limp around a college campus and run from a hooded Rebecca Gayhart <laughs> was, uh, it was particularly magical and also the fact that the killer's costume was literally just a giant like north face parka and leggings um it's classic cinema at its finest i love that movie now i hadn't seen it in a really really long time and i actually just watched it again like a week or so ago and i was very much impressed i really loved it a lot tara's acting was incredible she dies like while because, of course, Tara Reid in the movie is, like, a radio DJ. Because why would she not be? And she dies, like, on the radio. Like, and of course, because it's the 90s and, like, kids are damaged and we don't believe anything's real. They were all, like, listening to her get, like, slashed and, like, cheering cheering it on and thinking that it was fake. Um, it was amazing. Um, this obviously leads us to... The incomparable, the unimaginable. Is it still funny to announce things like John Travolta at the Oscars? Is, is that, like, done? Because I think that that's funny still for me. But I also think that that's funny for me still because John Travolta is, like, always funny for me. Like, John Travolta, for me, is something that you can just... If ever you're in need of a joke, you pull out something about John Travolta. Like, he just is always there. I love him so much. The incomparable, the unimaginable. <laughs> American Pie. Tara was cast as the virginal and sensible Vicky Latham. And, um, you know, the film immediately sort of skyrocketed her to it girl status in the early 2000s. And, you know, critics had it in their minds that American Pie would go on to become like a sleeper hit and, you know, probably not have a ton of impact or make a lot of money. And it ended up making $100 million at the box office. And it became, you know, iconic, generational, you know, generation-defining film. Um, it was the 20th highest grossing film of 1999. And it was nominated for several Teen Choice Awards and MTV Movie Awards. Um, and the movie made Tara this, like, very marketable, like, it girl. You know, she was like, Tara really had all of the makings to be a marketable queen. Like... She's gorgeous. She was funny. She was, like, a good enough actor that she was okay on film. Um, you know, she was she was perfect for the early 2000s. And American Pie also came out during a period where, like, teen comedies were sort of, like, the most lucrative thing happening in this country. And this sort of, like, cast of teen stars and starlets were being, like, sort of manufactured and packaged and shipped out, you know, to sell fucking Neutrogena and, like, Candy's wooden clogs, and, <laughs> you know, 
the one thing that set American Pie apart from all those other films was that it took like the sexual shot comedy approach and you know which was another thing that was also very much sort of like happening at the time like there's something about Mary had come out a year prior so that had really sort of like changed the game and it had like kind of taken us to that point in comedy where like the more shocking and the more sexually suggestive like the funnier um and like seeing like a fake ball sack was like the most wild funniest most happening thing in theaters in the late 90s like literally the equivalent of like people getting up during the exorcist and like puking in the 70s (laughs) Like, that was us seeing, like, a rubber ball in the 90s and just, like, losing our fucking minds. Um, We hadn't really seen anything like this since the 70s, actually, with, like, Animal House was, like, the original, like, sexual comedy, you know? And then American Pie was known for sort of, like, reviving that genre of, like, teen sex comedy film. It also spawned, like, a whole slew of films that attempted to sort of be like it, um, they tried to kind of capture that lightning in a bottle thing that American Pie had, and some of them worked, you know, some of them were successful and made a good amount of money, but, like, I don't know, for me, American Pie is always going to be, like, the original, and it's always going to be the funniest, and I don't think a lot of those movies really hold up, personally, but that's just me, I know people still love them, movies like, um, like, Girl Trip, and accepted and like all those other movies i mean they're they're great but like american pie is like the original um and then you know like vane wilder but then you have like the a few years later there was like the resurgence for the second or the, i guess it would have been like the third go around of sexual comedies with like super bad which spawned a whole nother sort of like generation defining sexual comedy for teens which I love. I mean, I think Superbad, like, holds up so well. Like, it, I could watch Superbad, like, at any moment. And now or when I'm, like, 90. Like, there are things in American Pie that I look at now and I'm like, wow, like, I really thought this was, like, funny when I was, like, 13. You know? Like, I really would be, like, l- grabbing my stomach on, the, on my knees, crying, saying, like, please have mercy on me. Like, fucking belly laughing. And now... It's just sort of like, it doesn't hold up. You know what I mean? It's not a timeless film. It's fucking hysterical still, and it's great, and it's it's American Pie. Like, it's it's in our hearts. It, it helped raise us. But, like, the comedy, you know, you know what I'm saying. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and then Tara would go on to reprise her role as Vicky uh, twice more in American Pie 2, and, uh, which grossed $145 million in the American Pie reunion in 2012. Um, we're about to talk about something that also means a lot to me in the complete opposite way of Cruel Intentions. Uh, I wasn't a fan of this film by any stretch of the imagination, but when you go back and watch it as an adult, it's amazing that this was a movie that, um, a boardroom full of people sat together and said that it would be a good idea to make. Um, strap up, ladies and gentlemen, because we're about to talk about Josie and the Pussycats. Y'all ready? Can we talk? (laughs) Um, first of all, this movie is important in the world of Tara Reid because this was her first real sort of like box office bomb. And, you know, she was put on this pedestal with American Pie, 
you know, a movie that reached, you know, number one in the box office and made all this money. And, you know, it was proven that Tara Reid could, like, carry a film if she needed to. Um, and then this happened, where she had, like, a little bit more of a lead role. She was actually asked to play Josie, um, but she turned it down because she's a selfless queen. And she took on, <laughs> um, she took on the role of Melody Valentine, the ditzy, bubbly idiot of the band. Um, and I think that career-wise, like, you could probably trace the decline of Tara's personal life and career to this very moment when Penn touched paper in a boardroom and she signed her name on the dotted line to play Medley, Med Melody, Medley Valentine in this film. Like, it really, it really fucked up Tara's career. Um, the other thing I will say, too, is that Josie and the Pussycats did, I mean, it made... $14 million at the box office, which was less than half of its budget, and it w received terrible reviews. It was a huge box office bomb. And the thing about movies like this not being successful is, like, you know, any old run-of-the-mill film cannot make a lot of money, and everybody kind of goes their own, their separate ways, and you take the loss. But when a movie like Josie the Pussycats that's being marketed and expected to make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, and then they're expecting to make you know, um, like, merchandise profit, like, when it doesn't work, it's so much big, it's such a, it's so much bigger of a deal than if a movie doesn't work that you do some fucking independent film that nobody would have seen anyway. When you star in a cartoon remake that's supposed to be in incredibly lucrative and spawn several sequels, and make hundreds of millions of dollars, and it doesn't work, like, it's really a stain on your resume, you know? Um, and a running gag, so, like, throughout this movie, like, the running gag throughout the film, like, it was supposed to be, like, self-aware, and, um, if you haven't seen it, like, it, there's this sort of constant product placement, where they're, like, supposed to be making fun of movies that do that, but they're also still doing it, so it's like there's placements for like Pizza Hut and Starbucks, um, Snapple, uh, Target, Kodak, Puma, like literally any brand you can think of, you name it, you name it, it's there. Um, <laughs> Pizza Hut, Starbucks, Snapple, Target, Kodak, Puma. <laughs> um, it just sort of went on and on. And then like the film was trying to like poke fun at it and at this sort of very thing that it was, and, like, the critics didn't like that at all, and people were, like, confused by it. Like, nothing worked. Um, like, it was making fun of movies that market to teen girls to buy this dumb, cheap shit at Walmart with fucking Tara Reid's face printed on it while also doing that. Like, it's not like they didn't, then after the film came out, have a line of, like, fucking book bags at Target that were shitty and would fall apart after two uses. You know what I mean? So silly. Um, it's silly. Uh, but it was reported that Beyonce and Aaliyah and Left Eye auditioned for Rosario Dawson's part in the movie. Um, Beyonce was not chosen because she was too shy and Aaliyah was too serious. And Left Eye was actually seriously considered to play Rosario Dawson's character, but she ended up, uh, not getting the part, and it went to Rosario Dawson, and I bet everybody involved was very happy that they didn't after they saw 
the fucking debauchery that took place on screen. Um, we should talk about Carson Daly for a while, because he is a part of this, after all. Right? <laughs> we can't just talk about Tara Reeve for five hours, which you know I would. You know me. Let me take a sip of my tap water first, please. Please excuse me. <laughs> oh, gross. To be honest with you, I'm not, like, a bougie person. I'm not staunch. But, like, tap water really does, like, repulse me a lot of the time. Like, I do feel like I can taste things in tap water that I can't taste normally. You can judge me. You can slide into my DMs and, and, and attack me from, like, that being false. Because it probably is. And I understand that. But, like, I'm sorry. I just think it tastes like shit. Like, I, I think it tastes like chlorine. Anyway. Um, Carson Daly. Who we all know and love and had crushes on at some point in our lives. If you're a human person. Male or female. Let's just be honest. Um, Carson Daly grew up in Santa Monica, California, and actually worked as an intern for Jimmy Kimmel's radio show when he was 18, and while working on the radio station, MTV recruited Carson to host one of those 90s summer beach house shows where you would watch girls with perms and bathing suits just, like, get their fucking life with, like, bathing suits that, like, went above their hip bone but, like, in the 90s way, not, like, the way that it's cool right now, kids. Um, and guys that had, like, sundial tattoos around their belly buttons and, like, frosted tips. You know what I mean? And those, like, sunglasses that reflect every single color off of them that were, like, very tiny. Like, because in the 90s, sunglasses were only big enough to cover your eyeball. They were no... They, we didn't need any more than that. We didn't need it covering... <laughs> Like, you know, your whole eye socket. We just wanted it to cover your pupil. So the lens was very tiny. And you would just watch people dance for, like, five straight hours. Like, the, a, a block of time would be cut out where you would just watch people get their life on platforms on the beach and just fucking dance their, dance their asses off. Which, like, by the way, I would be watching this in my grandmother's living room because she had that good cable. And I would be dancing my fucking ass off while she was upstairs sleeping at like noon i would be down there grinding against the wall i'd be using brooms as like people i mean i would be twerking and like i would just be getting my life with the ac turned all the way up as high as her sweet sweet grandbaby wanted it to go because he would get whatever he wanted and i just remember thinking like god damn it i cannot wait to be a teenager so I can go get my fucking freak on on the beach and like, <laughs> I can go get my freak on as soon as possible and like not have to worry about like taking home homework and like parents telling me what to do. Like all I want to do is go to the beach and fucking grind. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, Carson, was, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. I need another sip of this delicious tap water. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. 
So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.